Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. to be in the church and thankful for the love of God in my heart, the love of God in your heart. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Last two Wednesday nights ago, we began a series on Wednesday nights about the fruit of the Spirit, not to be confused with a recent started series on this past Sunday about foundations. But Galatians 5 and 22, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. In our first lesson, we talked about the value of character and what an integral part that is in our lives. We'll talk about character again in a few more lessons and um, the, the role that it plays in our heart, role that it plays in our life day to day, not just with God, but certainly with day to day happenings in our life. Last week, we talked about love. And this evening, we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about not just joy, but joy in all things. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Amen. Let's talk about joy in 2016. Amid the backdrop of all kind of peril and uncertainty in our world and sometimes even in our own lives, I'm thankful for the privilege and the ability to have joy in all things. I mean, you may be seated in the fear of God. Perhaps one of the most misunderstood aspects of the fruit of the Spirit would be joy. I think a proper definition of biblical joy would help us to understand or perhaps better understand the importance of manifesting it in our lives talking about biblical joy to a certain extent i think that each one of the fruits of the spirit or the aspects of the fruit of the spirit is dependent upon the one that is listed directly before it maybe this is not just in hardened concrete here but it is certainly that way with joy Joy would certainly have to be linked to the aspect of love. Because if you don't have the foundation of love in your heart, then you'll probably never experience true joy. So we must have that aspect of love. Furthermore, without real joy, uh, it, it will be almost impossible to manifest the remaining aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we need these foundational characteristics or these keys in our lives the word joy in the book of galatians in our text 5 and 22 
comes from a, a Greek word, and its meaning is something that I would really like you to stamp in your mind because I'm going to refer to it many times this evening. But the, the meaning of the Greek word, enjoy, come, means cheerfulness or a calm delight. And I want to underline that if I can in your heart, this calm delight. Joy it is not equal to bouncing off the walls, that kind of euphoric feeling of, of giddiness and silliness. That's not what we're talking about at all, not at all. Actually, the definition of a calm delight is probably the opposite end of the spectrum of how many people perceive joy. They think, well, they must have a lot of joy because they're just like, uh, they're just like popcorn. They're just bouncing around everywhere. Because many times when we think about the word joy or we think about joy, most of us probably do not properly define it. Things like laughter, stress-free living, an emotional high, or periodic good times in our lives, or seasonal good times. In, in most instances, these things define happiness and not joy. We make a, a mistake to think that if we're happy, then we have joy. But that's not altogether true because you can be happy over a circumstance or an event in your life. And it can be very seasonal, very temporary. It can be very momentary. Just momentary happiness, but there can be a real void or an absence of joy. And so I think what it's important to do is to underline the emphasis of our Wednesday night services. We certainly want the Lord to do whatever He wants to do. He is the absolute centerpiece of anything that we could do. But I believe it's important to sit down from time to time with this book open before us and figure out how to live for God. Amen. Not just up and down spikes and uh, highs and lows, peaks and valleys, but how to find ourselves in the kingdom of God and just live it out every day of our lives. Because this is more than a song, although I love the song. It's more than a shout, although I love the shout. Amen. Somewhere along the line, someone said it's not how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. And so somewhere along the line, I've got to figure out how to live this out in your absence. I've got to figure out how to hammer this out, navigate my way through life to a meaningful relationship with God in the absence of those that may be, uh, may be chiding me on. That's, that's the way to go. You're doing a great job. On and on and on. We need someone, uh, someone to be able to get a hold of this that will hold us in the midnight hour when there is nothing going on around us. Amen. But just hold us and keep us in that. And so I don't want to mistake happiness for joy. A person who has joy generally is always happy, but it's not so the opposite of that. That just because someone is happy doesn't necessarily mean they have joy. William Phelps wrote, If happiness truly consisted of physical ease, he said if happiness truly consisted of physical ease and freedom from care, if that was the sum total of happiness, then the happiest individual in the world, he said, I think would not either be a man or a woman. I think the most, uh, the most, in, the most joyful person or thing in the world would be the American cow. <laughs> and, uh, and so in truth, joy is an attitude. 
It's a mind frame. Joy is what we wake up with in the mornings. It's what we go to bed with at night. It's what we walk through all out the, all the day. Uh, consider, if you will, with me the hidden gem that is found in Matthew thirteen forty four. The Bible says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and sell, selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And so when this man discovered the treasure in the field, the Bible says that he sold all that he had, and that's most often what we highlight. The fact that the man found a treasure, hid the treasure, sold all that he had, and then went and bought the field. But I think the hidden gem in all of this story is, is how he did what he did. It wasn't just what he did, but how he did it. Amen. The Bible says, in joy, in joy he sold all that he had, for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath. In his joy, I'm going to come back to the definition of joy again, as I warned you, that attitude of calm delight. Now, there had to be a little bit of anxiety about selling everything that you own. But underneath that anxiety was an undergirding of joy. He understood this is for a greater cause. Something bigger than this is going on in my life. Amen. And so it's contradictory to, to profess to have the Holy Ghost and not have the attitude of joy. We can't have the Spirit of God and not have an attitude of joy. Oliver, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., who was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years, at one point in his life, Justice Holmes explained his choice career by saying this. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Think about it. Amen. I think that's a sad analogy, but it, there may be some merit to that. I think the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord ought to, ought to be that foundation, so foundational in our lives. I'm not, again, talking about being giddy and dancing across the top of the pews or running around. I'm just talking about something that holds you in the midst of our most uncertain hours. David, uh, David understood this. When we lose our joy, to be sure, our attitudes are affected by that. How we live our lives daily is lived by that. This is revealed in the life of David after his sin with Bathsheba. He came to the understanding that without joy, his life was so out of balance, nothing seemed right. He prayed. He prayed a very sincere prayer in Psalms 51 and 12. As a matter of fact, the entire 51st Psalm is worth reading. But let's just consider verse 12 tonight. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And so when you lose your attitude of joy, life becomes miserable. Life becomes unbearable. It's only through the restoration of joy that things can be put back into balance. A noted author, Charles Swindoll, once said this about our attitude. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact that attitude has on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education. It's more important than money, than circumstances, than failures and successes. It's more important than what other people think, more important than what other people say, 
or do. It's more important than appearances. It's more important than giftedness. It's more important than skills. Attitude will, will break a company. It will break a church or it will break a home. The remarkable thing is that we all have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily sustenance. Amen. He went on to say we cannot change our past and we cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one thing we have and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. If we are to change, then we must change our attitude. Amen. We can't change the circumstances of life. No one can predict the future. We have no idea what lies within the next 60 minutes or the next 60 seconds, for that matter, of our lives. And so I've got to ask the Lord to help me to have the right spirit, the right attitude that I may deal with, whatever that may be. We make the choices every day whether we're going to express an attitude of joy or not. I don't say this to be humorous at all because really it's sad. But there are people in life that I say that if it's not raining, it's at least partly cloudy. And oh, what a dreary thing that would be to be confined, confined to that prison of mindset that it's always gloomy, always down. I saw a little cartoon caricature the other day. I'm not even, I can't even remember where I saw it now, but it had a young lady standing there with relatively long hair standing on a windy day, two young ladies. And uh, one of them, the wind was blowing and the wind had blown her hair all in her face. And the other young lady was standing there and the wind was blowing and the wind was blowing her hair away from her face. And someone had put a little caption at the bottom of it. It just depends on which way you're facing. It just depends on which way you're facing. Everything can blow it be blowing in your face or it can be blowing behind you. And so sometimes we have to adjust our attitude. We have to adjust our attitude. I'm going to tell you something I know. We've all, everybody in this house, everybody, anybody that will ever hear this message uh, via our, our website or a CD or whatever, we've all had bad attitudes. We may have had them today. Amen. You may have one right now. I don't know. May <laughs> May have slipped it in and got through the metal detector with it. I don't know. You may have a bad attitude. We've all had to change our attitude about things. And aren't you thankful for people in your life that can help you make those adjustments when you, when you get just a little bit out of tune, off key, somebody in your life that can say, now, 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 now. Amen. That reminder that you're, you're painting this picture with a much broader brush than it needs and somebody that could just kind of help you bring everything back into perspective. And so I pray that God will help us to every day decide, I'm going to face this day with joy. Amen. You and I alone are in charge of our attitude. We can't, we can't control a lot of things, but we can control our attitude. Joy is something that's internal, not necessarily external. The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, Now the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The scripture lets us know that this internal joy is a byproduct of the Holy Ghost. You know, I, I'm thankful for the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad that the scripture uh, gives us that. And I'm thankful that there is an evidence of the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. 
I think it's incredible, just on a side note, that the Lord took the one thing that James, the writer, said was the only thing that no man could tame. And God said, I will yield that to my spirit and my will, and that will be a sign to all men that I have occupied this heart or this house, this dwelling. Amen. And so I'm thankful for that byproduct, amen, of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the, the evidence of the Holy Ghost. But there needs to be something that happens in our life beyond that. Sadly, some, so many times people just get the Holy Ghost, and if we're not careful in a shallow attempt to just think about numbers, we'll just want to count that person as a, as a, a, a soul in the church or a person in the church without wanting to see them truly discipled. Amen. To come to the knowledge of Christ, to, to realize you can live for God. This euphoric feeling that you have, this experience that you have, it's, that doesn't have to go away altogether, but life can knock the wind out of you. Life can pull the rug out from under you. And so you're going to need more than just that one-time experience. You're going to need more than just that moment in your life. I'm thankful for that moment in my life and don't want to ever allow anybody to steal or rob that from me. But it takes far more than that. Can I get a witness? Amen. We need something to get a hold of us, a byproduct of the Holy Ghost. Joy is formed in us as, as other, two, other attitudes. Joy is not some high point of emotion. It's not some zenith that is expressed with a wide grin or by, by sparkling eyes. But joy comes from within. It's a choice that we make. A person has to make a conscious decision to manifest joy in their life. I read an article many years ago. I, if I'd have thought about it earlier, I'd have pulled it up again. But how many muscles it takes, how many more muscles it takes to frown than it does to smile. And yet many people pull it off every day. It's so much easier to smile. It is so much easier to smile, and yet uh, people just wear that snarl, that just a mile away, you can just tell, I don't probably want to mess with this person right here. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. There needs to be a joy in our heart that centers us. Amen. And so that's a conscious decision. That calmness, amen, that calmness inside. Calmness on the outside doesn't always portray calmness on the inside. Amen. No one has ever gotten joy by practicing it on the outside long enough that it just becomes a part of you. That's not how it works. Real joy begins in the heart. It's a work of the Spirit, and it manifests itself outwardly. A third century man, I think it's important to get this, a third century man was anticipating his death, and he penned these last words to a friend. He said in the third century, It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and a holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and they are persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their soul. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians and I'm proud to be one of them. Amen. God, help us. Let that be our testimony today. Amen. I'm thankful that I got a hold of this. It's a dark world, a dismal hour, a wearisome season, but I'm thankful that I got a hold of something. Amen. That holds me and keeps me sure. It, it holds my feet sure. Amen. Joy is the assurance that we are acceptable to God. Now, I, I think... 
across the board, and I, I'm, I'm real hesitant about broad statements, but I'm safe in this one. But I think across the board that one of the greatest needs that we have, young or old, male or female, one of the greatest needs that we have is the feeling of acceptance. Amen. Now, we may be a little bit in too, many, too, too much company to want to just get up and dance about that. Let me tell you what I know that I know that I know. We all want to feel accepted. <clears throat> that is one reason why gangs are taking over the world at an unprecedented rate. It is because in the absence of family, these young men and women are finding acceptance. Even though it's a warped and bizarre world filled with drugs, sex, crimes, violence of all sorts. But because they can find acceptance. And so that answers a call. That fills a void. And so all of us, all of us fall into that category. And I don't think we ever outgrow that. Amen. I think that to some degree, there's always a measure of that needing, desiring acceptance. More importantly than just being accepted by our peers, our family and friends, and that's important. But I think we have a great need of being accepted by God. To have that calm assurance that it's not a one-sided affair. I'm not really sure even how to, to say what's on my heart, but it's, I think it's a wonderful thing in any relationship uh, whenever you realize and there is a confirmation, I think in all real relationships, there is some point in your life there is a confirmation that it is not a one-sided relationship. Is that fair enough to say? Amen. Not just talking about companions. I think that goes beyond, uh, certainly could go beyond companionship. That could go uh, to some of our closest friends. Uh, and, and you realize that it's not a one-sided affair, that we are in this thing Together, it is, it is a proposition that we have allied ourselves with. And so that need of being accepted by God, amen, is just brought into that. I'm thankful in my relationship with God when I realized that it wasn't a one-sided affair. Now, I'm choosing my words carefully here because I realize that if I never preached another message, the church would go on and the message would continue to reach around the world. I, I understand that, but I'm thankful for the confidence that I have in my relationship with God that it's not a one-way street, that I am always just the one that needs something from Him and that He is the only one that's ever available for me. I want to be available for Him. I, I want to be able to be counted on by Him. Is this fair enough? Amen. I, I, and so we need to reach that place where we feel that acceptance that in our relationship with God there is an ebb and a flow. This is not just about little old me standing at the foot of the cross, always with a hand extended out to a father, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Yes, I need thee, and I will always need him, but I also want to be able to be counted on by him. 
I've got a word I need you to deliver. I've got something I need you to say. I talked about this Sunday, about the, the men that were used by the power of the Holy Ghost to write something down. Amen. Write this down. How many times did he tell John on the Isle of Patmos, write under the church of Ephesus, write. Amen. Write, 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 write. He needed someone that he could count on. That had to be a pretty good feeling for John, even though he was in exile, to realize that God needed something from him and he could fulfill that. Amen. You don't have to feel uncomfortable about what I'm talking about this evening. And here's why you don't need to feel uncomfortable about it. Because God set this system up, not me. God said, I'm going to use man. I'm going to, I'm going to choose the foolishness of preaching. I'm going to use the mouthpiece of man. And so I'm not, I'm not being sacrilegious and talking about what I'm talking about this evening. I'm speaking of a system that God put in place. And so if he put man in that position of dependence, of God depending on them, that we need to be dependable. I've taken a little bit extra time here to talk about the importance of being accepted by God. Amen. I think I'm so thankful for the place that we reach in our relationships that we realize it's not a one-way street. I can depend on God, but I hope He can depend on me. I've told a story many times, and, and uh, to those of you who don't know this man, I apologize, but just take my word for it. Elder J. Frank Wilson was a man that if you get to heaven and he's not there, you're probably not in heaven. What a great guy. What a great man. What a very commendable, very, very small, statured man. He didn't weigh very much, wasn't very tall, very, very small uh, man, but he certainly left. Uh, a, a huge footprint. There was a book written about uh, his life called A Giant of a Man, a little bit of a play on his size. And so we were preaching for them one time and many years ago, and they were just about to wrap up their, a brand-new building program, and he was outside, and he was sweeping along on the outside. <laughs> he was sweeping along on the outside of the, uh, of the church, cleaning up a few things, and I was standing there and trying to feel more important than I really was, and and uh, when he come by me, I was looking around at all this beautiful building they had just were completing. And I said, you know, Brother Wilson, the Lord sure has been good to you. He never even looked up. As he kept sweeping, he said, and I've been good to him too. <laughs> and I've been good to him too. And right then and right there, right then and right there, I said, Lord, I want to live a life that when I am his age, I can say the same thing. Amen. There was no arrogance in that. There was, no, there was no haughtiness in that, but an assurance. I've been faithful to him too. God's been good to me, but I have been faithful to him as well. Amen. What a great, what a great man. It's good to have people like that in our lives, isn't it? Because of our past sins and because of our present weaknesses and flaws, many people struggle with this feeling of being acceptable to God. But you know what? God knows us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made given no one a license here, including myself tonight, to sin or to, to live haphazardly. But God knows who we are. Referring to, to, to Psalms 51 again, David realized the value of feeling and being accepted by God. And so that's why David, back in this 51st Psalm, this Psalm of repentance, this, this Psalm of, uh, of just absolute barrenness before God, this is what David said. Psalms 51 and 11. He said, cast me not away from thy presence 
and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hold that if you will. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I've often thought about and referred to the book, uh, uh, to, the man, to, to the man Samson in, uh, in chapter 16 of verse number 20 when the scripture talks about that he wist not or he knew not that the Spirit or that the Lord had departed from him. Well, that's a frightening thing to me. I've always wanted that scripture to arrest me. I've always wanted that passage to stand, not as an intimidator, but I wanted to always stand in the shadow of Judges 16 and 20, that Samson knew not that God's spirit had departed from him. So if we take the attitude of Samson, who is just so flagrantly in the face of God, living his life, doing what he wants to do, hanging out with this harlot, doing this with, uh, and doing that, and doing whatever, just whatever come to mind for him to do, he just partook of that. He knew that he had a Nazarite vow as a child. He grew up in that atmosphere, and yet when he came back along in the line, he knew he was to touch no dead thing, but when he saw the line, the honey in the line, he reached into the carcass of the honey, uh, the line, and ate the honey. Samson just did whatever he wanted to do. Amen. And so if you would just contrast that attitude against the attitude of David who had committed, if you want to line the sins up, line item for line item. Amen. You want to put your little spreadsheet out there side by side. It's not going to be very pretty. But let's compare the attitude. Samson is living so high-minded, his nose is shot so high in the air, he don't even know God has left. But that was one of David's concerns. Cast, not, cast me not away from thy presence. Amen. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then verse 12, he said, Restore, restore unto me, here it is, the joy of thy salvation. He wasn't saying, put another dance in my feet, my foot. He wasn't saying, Lord, let me leap for joy. He wasn't saying, Lord, give me another tambourine. He wasn't saying, Lord, let me make another lap around the tent. No, 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 no. He said, restore the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy Free spirit. Amen. Notice that he immediately asked for the restoration of the joy of his salvation. How? He said, by your presence. Don't take your presence from me. Amen. Don't take away your presence from me. Amen. But restore the joy of thy salvation. I think it's safe to say that David is implying that there is a joy that comes when we know that God has accepted us. There is a contentment that we can walk with when we know that we are in the in right standing with God. Let me tell you something. You can fool me and you can fool your neighbor. You might even be able to fool some of your friends, but you don't fool yourself. We know what, how we're living day to day. I'm not riding in the truck with you every day. I'm not sitting in your home every day. Amen. You know you, I'm not sitting in your office every day, wherever the fill in the blank there. Amen. We know, we know, we know. Amen. I want to know that I am right with God, not just because somebody's eyeing me or what somebody may think or what somebody may say. I want to be right because it's right. Amen. Just because it's right. And in doing so, and in doing so, that's where we find that acceptance from God. Because hear me, God's not desperate. 
And that's something we need to get drilled in our cranium. God is not desperate. If we want to play church, he'll find somebody else that'll be committed. And he'll just let you keep on playing church. You want to toy around with all this stuff and goof around and, and act, like, act like everything's all right on Sunday or Wednesday, so to speak, in our case, and then just live to the wind every other day? God will just give you over. That's what Romans says. Amen. That's what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. He'll just let you go. If that's what you want to do, he'll just let you go. And sometimes because God doesn't just smash us like a cockroach, we think we're getting by. We think everything's just A-OK because we don't have that Ananias and Sapphira moment every, every third week. <laughs> we just feel like everything's all right. But it's not all right. It's not all right. And so we, we, are, we're, we have got to make sure, amen, the joy of our salvation lets me know that my sins have been forgiven and lets me know that I've been accepted by God. And here comes that definition again. With that comes that calm delight. Amen. It's not a struggle in my spirit. I have an assurance that God is with me. Amen. Even when I don't feel chill bumps, even when I don't just feel like I could break out with a dance, I've got something in my heart that's holding me, holding me, holding me, holding me. Amen. Joy is not, real joy is not situational. To some people, joy is turned off, turned on with prevailing circumstances in their life. If the bills are paid, everybody's healthy, plenty to eat, things are going well, a lot of joy. But when sickness comes, money runs short, etc., 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 joy is running down the road. Philippians 4 and 4, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I, again, Paul uses some pretty big bullets here in his writings. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The word instructs us to be joyful even when problems come. And then not enough that Paul has this attitude in his writing. But, but here's James that, that, comes along, excuse me, that comes along and says in James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, if you don't understand this scripture in context, it'll just kind of leave you like the little RCA dog staring at the cone. How can I count it all joy when I am falling into divers or various temptations? Knowing this, verse 2 is the commentary to that, or verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We have to understand this, if I can pause here for a moment, that God doesn't play games with us. God doesn't toy with us. God doesn't just, he doesn't just try us to see how, how much it'll take to break us. God, just, he's, not, he's not in the business of just messing with you. You ever have people just mess with you? <laughs> God doesn't just mess with us. And so he's not up in heaven playing games saying, hey, come over here to an angel. Watch this. <laughs> and so when I fall into diverse temptations, when things come along in my life and I don't even understand what's going on, here's what I have to know. That the trying of your faith worketh patience, verse 4, but let have patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, complete, wanting nothing. There are a lot of things that the Lord have asked ask of us, and most of them are not too difficult. But this one can be a struggle when you count it all joy, when problems start coming from everywhere. Count it all joy. 
count it all joy. He's not asking you to be giddy because we're not talking about happiness. He's asking you to have a calm peace and a calm assurance when trouble starts assailing from every angle and from every direction. The writer says, when the problems come, we receive it with joy. Why? Because it means that God is at work in our lives. I may never have needed God quite like I need Him today because maybe I've never faced what I'm facing today. But you know what? He was God enough yesterday, God enough today, and He'll be God enough tomorrow. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. He will be enough. Amen. Knowing that our problem, that problem is working patience in us. And it's perfecting us. And it's all aiming at one thing. And that is to solidify what we're talking about tonight. Joy in our lives. God's not in the business of just trying to make us grin for the sake of grinning. He's trying to get something in us that will keep us, hold us, sustain us. So, so Simon Peter says this in 1 Peter 4. The Bible says in verse number 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so when it, when it comes to tests and trials, you're not unique. I'm not unique. There have been others that have been tried. Amen. Believe it or not, you're not the only one who's ever gone through what you're going through. Amen. I've, I've marveled, marveled at times to, to discover that somebody has walked through a valley so similar to mine. That, that almost footprint for footprint. You could just walk along and you realize that someone has already been where I am standing. And so with consolation, I toss that out to you tonight. Someone has already stood where you're standing. And you know what? They survived. They didn't just come out. They didn't just come out on the other side barely. Just two legs and a piece of an ear. But God brought them through that. I'm not saying without pain, peril, or sorrow. But God brought them through that. And when they came through the other side, they were more confident in their relationship with God than they had ever been before because they found out that He wasn't a God that was just locked up within two leather bindings, but He was a God that was truly in our heart with us day in and day out. Praise God. Praise God. And so if we endure as He did, His glory will be revealed in us and our joy will be multiplied. In order, for, in order for our joy to be multiplied, there must be joy to begin with. And so if we have no joy, then the trial is unbearable. The reward then non-existent. Going back to Simon Peter again, 1 Peter 1 and 7 through 9 explains to us the great value of trials and, and, and the ultimate reward for enduring them with joy. He said that the trial of your faith... <coughs> Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though you see him not. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. I suppose the greatest lesson in, in, in life, some of the greatest lessons in life, have come to us by example. When it comes to joy, 
In all the things, there's no better example than that of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize I went to the top tier for an example to pull Jesus on you. But what a great example. But let me just pause and tell you that the Scripture says that of all of the things in Scripture and all of the characters of Scripture, that they were given to us for a sign, for an end sign, for an example. And so I know how to handle it. I know how to do. I know what to do because others have been there. But Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In all that we go through, in all that we endure, we have to yet face, we have none yet faced what Jesus faced. The writer of Hebrews in just one short verse speaks volumes about the character and the understanding of Jesus Christ. While suffering the shame and the ridicule of an unjust crucifixion, he endured that as a man with great character. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and I will make my closing comments. The reason why he endured the shame with the character that he exhibited is given to us in the very same verse. The same verse that says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The scripture tells us the reason for all this is for the joy that was set before him, for the calm assurance that I know I'm doing this for the right reason. And that same joy that's manifested in the fruit of spirit, here it is again, that calm delight, even when everything is going wrong. It's a calm delight that comes from within. It's not predicated upon external circumstances. It's a calm delight that assures us that God is at work and there's a great reward for enduring and for just standing. For just standing. Something has to be said for those that have just stood. They've just stood. When you're When you're a young person in church, you never really give a lot of consideration to one day you'll be an old person in the church. Because as I've often said, when you're young, everybody's old. But sometimes people want to know the secret to others' success. How did you make it? They just kept standing. They just wouldn't quit. It wasn't that they never got knocked down. They just kept getting back up. And sometimes we think the winner, the winner, you know, that, that, that term just kind of bursts certain images in our mind. The winner. We, we think about victory lane. We think about the big trophies. We think about the confetti flying in the air. But you see... Every winning scenario doesn't look like that. The winner of a boxing match 
sometimes doesn't look like a winner. His eyes are swollen shut. He's got nose coming down, blood coming down from his nose, and everybody's holding his hands up. He don't even know what day of the week it is. They surrounded him. They crowded him. He couldn't really convince you of his middle name. But everybody around him is telling him, you won, you won, you won, you won. You don't always look like a winner. But it doesn't mean you're not the winner. Let's stand. I want to conclude this evening with a story shared by one of my favorite authors. When I like just something to soothe my soul. A man by the name of Max Lucado. He said this, No man had more reason to be miserable than this one, yet no man was more joyful. His first home was a palace. Servants were at his fingertips. The snap of his fingers changed the course of history. His name was known and loved. He had everything. Wealth, power, respect. And then, just like that, he had nothing. Students of the event still ponder it. Historians stumble as they try to explain it. How is it possible that a king could lose it all? One moment he was royalty, the next he was in poverty. His bed became at best a borrowed pallet, but most often just hard dirt. He never owned even the most basic mode of transportation and was dependent upon handouts for his income. He knew what it was like to be rained on and to be cold. He knew what it meant to have no home. While his palace had been spotless, now he was exposed to filth. He had never known a disease, and now he's surrounded by illness. In his kingdom, he had been revered, but now he was ridiculed. His neighbors tried to lynch him. His family tried to confine him to their house. Those who didn't ridicule him tried to use him. They wanted favors. They wanted tricks. He was really just a novelty. Really. They wanted to be seen with him. That is, until being, with him, being seen with him became out of fashion. And then they wanted to kill him. He was accused of a crime that he never committed. Witnesses were hired to be lied, to lie. The jury was rigged. No lawyer was assigned to his defense. A judge swayed by politics handed down the death penalty. And they killed him. He left as he came. Penniless. He was, bar- he was buried in a borrowed grave. His funeral was financed by compassionate friends. Though he once had everything, today he died with nothing. He should have been miserable. He should have been bitter. But he wasn't. He was joyful. He was joyful when he was poor. He was joyful when he was abandoned. He was joyful when he was betrayed. He was even joyful when he hung on that cross. Jesus embodied 
the subject that we're discussing tonight. Joy in all things. A joy that refused to bend in the wind of hard times. A, bo- a joy that's held, that held its ground against pain. And here it is again. Hebrews 12 and 2. This is why we can look to Him. The author, the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I submit to you tonight that God wants us to have something to shout about. Not just noise, not just static, not just shouting because we finally got the speed of the song fast enough. Not just shouting because we finally got the PA loud enough. Because we got people worked into a frenzy high enough. But we've got something to shout about. Overcome. We're overcomers. We're overcomers. Amen. Can we lift our hands? Would you do that with us across this building? Thank you for the joy of the Lord. I'm thankful for the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. That presence, oh God, that just sets us aside. That sets us apart. Oh God, from the waywardness of this world. From the awkward steps of men who today are this and tomorrow something else. So given to change. But oh God, I'm thankful for men and women in my life. Heroes of faith. Not just those bound in scripture, God. But I'm thankful for heroes of faith that I've had the privilege to be in their home I've had the privilege to sit down at their table I've had the opportunity to have them in our home the opportunity to shake their hands and know them by name and they know me I'm thankful God for heroes that have stood the test of time they stood because of such great examples before them in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I pray Can we magnify the Lord in this song? Thank you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.